Hi everybody, before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to apologize for the quality of the audio. It's not to my usual standard. I was unable to use my usual program and I had to use Zoom instead. So that being said, let's get into it. Today's guest is one of Australia's top freestyle motocross riders, shaking off all misconceptions of the sport. He is a professional athlete determined to take the sport to new heights, literally. X Games athlete, Nitro Circus, brand ambassador and all-round nice guy, episode 79, J.O. Archer. Welcome to One Moment, Please the podcast where our guests take a moment to tell their stories of how they've overcome adversity to achieve success and you take a moment to tune in so bring on the inspiration hey jo hey how you going good you just held up because we're talking about coffee um because i needed mine my husband just brought mine in for me and um you held up your black rifle coffee yes hand This is that a thing. cold one? Is it a cold brew? Yeah. So triple it's shot. A, Jeez, Louise, it's a triple shot. Triple shot, 300 milligram. Um, it's a caramel vanilla. So this thing is it's awesome. It's so Are tasty. Are selling was... it in Australia now or is that a special delivery over to you? Yeah, no, unfortunately they're not in Australia just yet. So um, they're actually a little bit hard to get over here. So I was just lucky to get some stuff sent over for me. Yeah, but um, there's never enough. I wish I could just drink them all day. <laughs> they, you do get a pretty good kick out of it because it's a natural caffeine, so you don't tend to have the the crash like you do with some pre workout drinks and stuff. So you kind of just because sometimes if you have a big caffeine hit, I tend to crash a little bit and you feel a little tired afterwards. But these are good. They just they've got legs, so just keep keep you going all day. Keep you rolling. Yeah. How did you get hooked up with um Black Rifle? So Black um, Rifle's a coffee company over in America, everybody. If you've not heard of them, that's what we're talking about, not actually firearms. (laughs) Um, So in 2019, I went to over to the States, to Travis Pastrana's house to start working on a Mm -hmm. triple backflip. And Mm. at the time he was sponsored by Red Bull, but he's good friends with the owners of Black Rifle Coffee. And um, he basically just put in a good word for me. Um, and then I became Black Rifle's first um, freestyle motocross athlete. They already had a lot of other people on board, but um, in other um, sports and, you know, different things. But, um, yeah, so Travis did the did the handiwork there for me. And then a couple of years later, he's actually left Red Bull and he's now with uh, Black Rifle. So super cool how it worked out. And you're also, you know, Troy, this is how we got hooked up because Troy Knight's, Yes, such yep. a sweetheart. So that's, got the, that's the Havoc 06. Havoc 06. I know. Yeah. I'm not going to be sharing the video to this, but I'm happy that you're wearing all the merch. Uh-huh. I'm very impressed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, Troy, Troy's a really, really cool dude. And um, funny enough, I guess, so the way that we kind of um, met each other was through um, JT at Black Rifle. So he is, um, he's my main sort of contact at Black Rifle. He lives in Texas. And he's um, a veteran with a you know military background. So him and him and Troy had actually met you know many years ago in the states, and they've always sort of mm-hmm. kept in touch and you know stayed good mates. So JT just did a little group message on Instagram and said, "Jo, this is Troy. Troy, this is Jo. I'm pretty sure you guys both live in Australia." <laughs> and then um, 
yeah, kind of introduced us there. And then it was literally the next weekend. Troy happened to be um, in Queensland at the time he was living in Newcastle. So mm. the very next weekend, he just happened to be up here. So we went to the pub and caught up and, um, yeah, we met each other, caught up, watched the footy, had a beer and just kind of got to know each other. And then, um, yeah, since since then, we've become, you know, really good mates. And he um, he's actually a supporter, a sponsor of mine with Havoc 06. So, um, yeah, stoked to meet him. And it was, it was quite cool how it all sort of turned out. Was that always the plan in regards to the freestyle motocross to get to the stage where you with Nitro, Nitro Circus now, you've got your sponsorships on board, which is amazing. Was that always sort of the goal to get to that level or did you just sort of fall into it? Like how did you get started in this whole random world of free cross? Is, that, is that, am I using the terminology, right? Freestyle motocross, is that yeah, right? Yeah, that, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. See, I've um, got no idea what I'm talking yeah. about. Well, it all sort of started off um just through riding dirt bikes so i started yeah. um i got my first motorbike when i was four years old for christmas and which i was you know stoked about um and then now, who gave you that was that your mother my dad gave you that my dad. Your dad i was gonna say well, i don't think it's a mum thing to give yeah so, yeah so my um my older brother ryan already had a bike um okay. and then my dad my dad was more so into footy um when he was younger like rugby league he was a really good player yeah. Um, but he, he always rode dirt bikes. He's never any good. <laughs> he used to crash and hurt himself. But um, yeah, so I got a bike when I was four years old. And then I think the moment that I started riding it, I was pretty obsessed with it. Like I could actually ride a, a motorcycle before I could ride a, you know, BMX bike when I was four. Like yeah, I was, yeah. So, and then, um, yeah, it just kind of became just a massive hobby of mine. And I was never pressured into doing anything by my parents. They were never pushing me to do it. I just, every single day after school, all I would want to do is be outside with a shovel, building little jumps and riding bikes. So um, it sort of just carried on from there. And then when I was six, six years old, I started racing motocross. That's the youngest um, age you can start in Australia. So started racing when I was six years old um, on different motocross tracks all around Australia. And then, yeah, that's pretty much, um, it just never, it's just never stopped since then. So I raced, um, had a pretty high level, um, you know, in Australia up until I was 15. And then that's sort of when the freestyle stuff started happening for me a little bit. And it was nothing that I'd particularly planned to do. And I kind of, you could almost say I fell into it in a little, in a bit of a way, but, um, at the time I was living with, um, who's a big mentor of mine, Cameron Sinclair. So he's a X Games gold medalist, one of the most, you know, one of the best riders um, in the world. So I was lucky enough to live with him and he was someone I've always looked up to and, and you know, loved like a brother or a father or whatever. So he was so cool. And, you know, he was in his peak of his career at that time. And I always sort of just wanted to be like Cam, you know. So I'd go ride with him and... Um, started jumping ramps freestyle ramps and stuff and then I did my first backflip when I was 14 years old and then um I was still racing at that time and then when I turned about I think I was like 15 I sort of started getting into that a little bit more and and I thought geez this is this is what it's all about because I love the um the, kind of the extra adrenaline um and nerves and everything I'd get from doing that you know doing the big jumps and stuff but motocross is such a great sport um and I'm so lucky to have grown up doing that because it's given me so many bike skills and stuff that I still use today. But for me, I felt like I'd really found my home when I started doing the freestyle tricks and stuff. I just love that, um, 
you know, just that adrenaline and, and just the feeling that you get when you're learning things and you're nervous, but you push yourself to, to your limits, you know, to, to get better. And um, so I sort of fell into it in a way of just being around it and kind of wanting to see what it was all about. And then, yeah, from then till now, it's, it's, um, you know, it's just what I love doing and it's what I've, um, what I always want to do. So there's no real plan with like, wanting I never really I had a few goals for myself but I never had goals of like oh, I need to be sponsored by this person I want to ride for this and this I sort of just had personal goals which I'd always keep to myself I've never really been one to promote things or put things out there saying I want to do this I'm going to do that I like to just have some personal goals but keep them inside my brain <laughs> and then um, just do my best and see where that takes me and if that doesn't take me to you know wherever it's not I'm not going to be disappointed as long as I know I've had had a crack at it and sort of given it my best um, shot. Were you growing up on a property when you were younger? Is that why you um, were? No, nah, so I lived, I grew up in Sydney, um, just in the Sutherland Shire, just around the Cronulla area. So where I lived, it was most people were playing, you know, rugby league and football and stuff. There wasn't mm. much of a moto sort of um, community there. But um, I spent, you know, a lot of my childhood there. But then we did move to... Um, more like country New South Wales and we lived on we had five acres there for a little bit so I was able to do a lot more riding and that's when I'm saying like you know I'd be getting home from school and it's all I'd want to be doing and I'd be riding my bike in the backyard literally until it was dark and I'd be so disappointed when I'd have to go in and have dinner because I just wanted to keep riding the bike um, so I, was, yeah, so I, was, I was wondering I was wondering how you were digging um, and creating jumps in suburban yeah, Australia yeah. oh I don't worry I've done that too um, <laughs> But yeah, so I lived lived um, on a little bit of acreage there for, for a little bit. But then um, my mother and I moved to Melbourne. Um, and then I spent, that's sort of where I met Cam Sinclair, the freestyle rider. And, um, but yeah, since since then, I haven't lived on um, property or had acreage or anything. But yeah. I've, always, I've always had a place to, to ride, you know, whether it's a friend's property or a friend's um, freestyle compound or whatever. So um, I've been lucky. Yeah, for sure, to have good places to ride over the years. How did you link up with um, Sinclair if so, he was yeah. sort of at the peak of his career? And Yeah, well, sort of um, just through bikes, to be honest. Um, he was still at that point, so he was still doing a little bit of racing. He was racing like professional Supercross, and then at like the halftime at the Supercross show, he'd come in from a race, and then he'd do the freestyle show, so he's doing a bit of both. And I guess we just sort of met through the bikes, Um you know, the motor, motocross, motorcycle community in Australia is all pretty tight and everyone sort of knows everyone. Um, and I guess, you know, I was just a young young kid that was um, a good rider and, and all, you know, really keen to meet people and get better and, and whatever else. And we sort of just met through there. And then, um, yeah, it was, it was just funny. Like we, we just kind of became mates and it was it was funny because he was, you know, like an adult and I was a kid, but he, he just sort of took me under his wing Um and yeah helped me out he you know a couple of years there he bought me bikes and everything for like bought me motorbikes for the year because we didn't have a whole lot of cash so um yeah he's been an awesome sort of not only a mate but a mentor and and you know helped me out immensely over the years and he's the one that taught me how to backflip and do tricks and double backflips and everything so yeah i've got um got a lot to thank for cam did you end up living with him at some stage yeah so we we lived together so he um 
his parents, I think, believe his parents split up. And then I think like he was maybe, this is probably when he was like 21, you know, and he, he ended up coming, he was just going to come and stay with me and my mum. He was just going to come and stay for a few weeks while he, uh, while he, you know, figured out where he was going to go or whatever. And then I, I think a few weeks turned into like two and a half or three years or something, um, which is, which is so cool. I thought it was bloody awesome. But um, how old were you? Um, oh geez, I'm not very good with my memory's not very good, but I, I would have been around like seven or eight years old, something like that. But um, but we started hanging out a lot more and right like at that point I was only kids, so I couldn't do freestyle stuff then. But we started sort of hanging out and riding, you know, almost every day after school when I was sort of yeah, 14, 15 years old. And that's when he kind of really um yeah, taught me taught me things and, and helped me out with the freestyle world. Why, why that age? Is it because you've got enough upper body strength then to pull the torque on the bike to do the flips and stuff, or like why did he wait for that? Well, why I just, was that a click point? I mean, it wasn't. There's not really like a a correct time when you need to start or you should start or an age or anything. But I mean, back then, that's a that's a very young age. Like I think at the time, I was the youngest person in the world to backflip um, the seventy five feet, like the full freestyle distance. So basically um a lot of it was to do with the size bike i was riding because when i was little the bike i was on wouldn't have wouldn't have been able to do those jumps it's just not possible so um a lot of it was to do with that but also the skill level when you're when you're super young you don't have the skill level to be jumping you know massive jumps and the the it, it's all, obviously it's a dangerous sport but if you're really young trying to do things like that it's it's you know like no no older mentor would ever want someone to be doing something they weren't comfortable with so I think mm. it was um it was a bit of just a natural transition of when my skill level was up and I was showing a bit of interest in wanting to do that um but I mean you know looking back now like when you're 14 years old it's you're pretty you're pretty young like you kind of wouldn't want to be doing it too much younger than that off the off the big sort of jumps but yeah just it was just a bit of a natural kind of transition was your mother aware of you doing this transition? <laughs> yeah, yeah, she was. Yeah, she's my my family's always been um, behind me. You know, everyone always says how much support they have from their family, and um, but yeah, I've been extremely lucky that my my family, my my mum and dad, and my brother and sister, they've always supported me and my silly ideas, um, and always. Why sort of are they silly? Ah, oh, not silly ideas. I'm only joking, but um, no, it's been good. My my parents have been. Sure, they get nervous and stuff, but they would never, um, you know, they they when I was younger, obviously I'm an I'm an adult now, but when I was younger, they never would have said, Oh, you can't do that. Or you, you know, as long as yeah. I um took the right steps and precautions and I was um confident with what I was doing with the backflips and stuff when I was young, they've always been behind me to to do what I love doing. It's pretty rare though, considering the sport, because and then the career that you've cr- carved out of it because a lot of parents would be and a lot of parents do try to corral their kids in regards to what they think or go do a business degree or go you know you want an office job or whatever and yeah. I don't know what your parents did for for work but in terms of that you're very lucky that your parents sort of just went you know go go do you you know yeah oh, absolutely I mean look I think um you know in the future when I'm a parent I'd love to do the same thing because um if my parents told me to go and do a business degree and whatever I would have it's not what I'm interested in and and it's not what my yeah. skill set is so it's a, it would be a real shame to have a 
have a love for a sport and and obviously skills as well and then you know never be able to pursue it so I guess um like you said yeah lucky to have supportive parents and um yeah they've been a big help over the years to allow me to do the stuff that I still love doing today you mentioned your parents being nervous, but I'm I'm interested in regards to more you as an athlete. Yeah. Because you started doing the sport so young, do you do you find that it's so doing things outside of your comfort zone is so second nature to you that you don't get the nerves, or do you still go at the bottom of a jump when you're revving to start yeah. and quietly shitting yourself? Yeah, no, I still def- definitely still get the nerves. Um, I think it's only look, I think it's good and I think it's quite healthy to get those sort of nerves because, mm. you know, without, I think nerves are good because without nerves, you know, you, you can almost be too confident and that's when you can get caught off guard and, and have an accident or, you know, break a bone or whatever. So I think um, I think somewhat having nerves is a good thing because to me being nervous isn't, it's, you know, not, not so much shitting myself, but it, it's more of just being a hundred percent focused and thinking about what I'm going to do um opposed to being like I don't know what I'm doing here but my nerves are just like making sure that I've ticked every box and I know exactly what I'm doing and the speed of the bike's good and everything's good so um but I definitely still get those nerves and I don't think I think obviously you get I get more nervous with certain tricks and um jumps and ramps and all sorts of stuff so like obviously my normal sort of riding day to day I don't get extremely nervous but when you're learning something new um the nerves are always there and I think I think that's the sort of thing that'll stay with you forever as long as you're still pushing yourself and trying to learn new things then there's always going to be some nerves and stuff there how do you stop it though from being a healthy nervous energy and keeping you on your toes to tipping over to being uh, to fear and overriding that that's a that's a great question and I honestly I don't know if I can answer that because I don't really know how for me, it's just always been pretty natural to, because I'm so passionate and focused um, and, and just love what I'm doing. And I always want to get better, you know, every day. Mm. So I've never really, I've just always tried to be as, as positive as possible, especially when being injured and stuff. I'm always just trying to be positive and think about, um, you know, getting better and, and more experience and everything. So I've never really, I've never struggled to kind of like have a difference between the the crazy nerves where you're anxious and, you know, can't stop, you know, and struggling to sleep and all that sort of stuff. Like I've never really let the nerves get the better of me, I've, but I haven't really, it's just been natural. I haven't had to think about that. I've just always had those nerves and the drive and the motivation to keep going. So, I mean, some people might find it hard to keep a balance between those two, but I guess you know maybe I've just been lucky in that way you mentioned injuries yep what's your worst uh broken broken neck is my worst I broke um oh my god damn yeah I I broke how do you get back on the bike after you break your bloody neck you just keep going that's that's just what I love doing so um but yeah I broke so the c1 vertebrae which is the very very top one I broke C1, um, it's called a Jefferson fracture. So I broke the two wings off either side and I broke C6 as well. That was in the same um, accident. So um, I also, actually the same accident I broke, my ankle um, crushed my thyroid in my throat and I had a leak in my heart. 
and um, I actually drove myself to the hospital with a broken neck and everything. I was I was nineteen, I think there. Um, but I, yeah, I've broken. Did you know? Did you know you'd done serious damage? I I definitely didn't think my neck was broken, but um, I knew something wasn't right because I, I certainly didn't feel I didn't feel good. Um, I couldn't turn my head or like I was felt very stiff. But you never think you've got a broken neck. But both yeah, both my ankles were were screwed. But um didn't choose to drive myself to the hospital but I was at a show um with a promoter that I won't mention his name but he's a bit of a dirtbag and um he actually moved the ramp moved a ramp on me during the show so the accident wasn't necessarily even my fault he changed our jumps um but didn't didn't mention it to to me or the other rider so I had the accident and then um yeah, he didn't want to call an ambulance so I was thinking geez what what am I going to do here so yeah I had someone just a random person from the crowd helped me put my bike um in the back of my ute and i just drove from um so that was in around sort of phillip island in victoria i drove to frankston hospital which was just the closest hospital to home that i knew of yeah it's um, an hour and, and a half drive though yeah it was about yeah i think it was about an hour and a half or an hour 20 or something so um mm. and then yeah so i ended up yeah with a pretty bad one there but um yeah so the neck i've broken compressed the vertebrae in my my lower back i think it was l4 and 5 um start of the year i broke my femur um i broke my collarbone on last week i just had surgery on saturday but it's it's oh. fine um i've had he says eight, as he's moving it around quite yeah. freely i've just cringed as you did that i think i've had 18 shoulder dislocations on the right shoulder i've broken both wrists um multiple times um broke the right tib and fib in my leg so i've got i've got titanium rods in both left and right legs and then i've got plates i think i've got plates in maybe in both ankles or perhaps just in the left ankle um that was from snap ligaments um and then i've had some other so i've had a couple i had a surgery on my left wrist that was just from a bad um a very bad cut i actually cut straight through the tendons that control my fingers um and then oh, I think that's it. I don't know. I've had a couple of hernia operations on my stomach. I've had, I've had a bunch of stuff over the years. So, but um, yeah, look, I feel pretty good. And um, I've always, always kept fit and healthy and, you know, training mm. in, in the gym is it's, it's not something I do because I have to do it because of my career or, or whatever, um, where I do it because I love it. It's become a hobby of mine. So I actually really enjoy training and going to the gym. I know some other people, kind of do it because they have to and they want to keep fit and be good on the bike, but they don't necessarily like it. But like, I love it. I get up at some, you know, a lot of mornings I get up at 3am and um, go and train and start the day off like that. So it's, uh, yeah, I love it. I haven't, I haven't really, you know, had any time off from the gym or anything except for a couple, you know, have some days off for injuries or whatever, but the last like eight years, seven, eight years, I've been, you know, super consistent with that. So I train like six days a week. And um, sometimes, sometimes if I'm bored, I'll go two or three times in one day if I haven't got much on. Um, so I think that's been it's been a good help for me with um, with recoveries from injuries and stuff because mm -hmm. I've always sort of stayed pretty fit and healthy. Um, it's definitely helped with my recovery, which is obviously super important when you're in a dangerous sport. Yeah. So what is it? It's getting up at three a.m. What's a typical day then for you? Uh, look, it varies. Um, this morning I got up at 3am um, and yesterday and I went, 
had brekkie and stuff at home, black rifle coffee, of course, to get caffeinated gotcha. um, and then to the gym. And then um, I was doing some work, um, setting up some like suspension for freestyle. So there's many different, um, like lots of different tuning and adjustability and stuff we do for our bikes to get them adequate for the jumps we do. So I did some um, set up some suspension at a workshop nearby for a friend of mine who is a nitro circus rider. So spent um, yeah, spent the early sort of morning doing that. And then today I've come back, obviously we're on the podcast for an hour and a half. And then um, oh, I've just got a bunch of running around to do this afternoon, a bit of work at home, um, go over the bikes. But like a normal day for me is I, I just, I like getting up early and getting my training done. I think but 3 a.m. is like crazy, t- crazy town time. Yeah. I just, I'm normally um, going to bed at that time. I get it every night. I go to bed at eight thirty. Uh, I've been, I've done that for many years now. Um, I'd be pissed off if it's nine, if it's nine o'clock and I'm still awake. <laughs> I lo- really like that eight thirty. But um, yeah, like I, there's something about getting up early um and training that I like. I think um, you know, I listened to a, a Mike Tyson podcast many years ago or or an old video or something, and whether or not you know you like Mike Tyson or not, um. It's another thing, but he was saying that in his in his prime, he used to get up and train at like three a.m. because um, he knew that the rest of his competitors and people he was up against were at home in bed, so he had the upper hand by getting up, getting shit done while everyone else is at home sleeping. And I think I remember hearing that and just going, "Oh yeah, that's that is fucking awesome." So I just get some sort of um, I don't know adrenaline or just a bit of a kick in the butt about getting up early and, and just getting it done while it's still pitch black outside. There's no one around, you know, the gym's relatively empty. There's actually, there's actually people that train at that time, believe it or not. Um, but yeah, it's just like, I get some sort of almost euphoria out of that. I love, I love getting in there and getting it done when, you know, you probably should be asleep. So I've just, um, it, it was hard at, at the start. Like when I was living in Melbourne, I didn't, um, I didn't have a choice if I wanted to get my training done because I was working full time. Um, we would, we're working 12 hours every day. Um, so if I wanted to get my training done, then I had to get up at 3am and go and train before we started work. So that's kind of how it became pretty easy because I had to do it. I was used to, well, I didn't have to do it, but I really wanted to get my training in and be fit um, every day. So that was just how it all started. And then now obviously I'm not working full time The full-time thing for me is the the dirt bike so I've just been able to keep that going and yeah who knows I'll probably keep it going as long as I can it's interesting because when you think about the sport from a non like an outsider which I obviously am you sort of more think about it being yes rough and ready but you sort of think more of a party lifestyle and the fact that you're in bed at 8 30 is so surprising yeah yeah it's um look i think the whole freestyle motocross thing you know over the years um it's certainly changed and the athletes have changed um i guess back when it all kind of kicked off in like the early 2000s with the crusty demons and stuff you know those Mm. those guys were living like rock stars because they were the first people to ever do it and they're making you know crazy money and crazy parties and stuff like that and um but you know as as time has progressed, you know, it's become more of a professional sport and, you know, you can, um, if you market yourself well, you know, you can, you can get good um, 
sponsorships and stuff like that. And obviously with social media and stuff, everything you do is online these days. And, but not only that, you know, the athletes have become better. We've, we're doing bigger and scarier and more difficult tricks. So, you know, training in the gym and stuff is a must if you want to be at, at the highest level. So I think over years, it's just kind of progressed and the, the riding, the motorcycles are better each year. The competitions are bigger. Everything's growing. So I think if you want to keep up and be a good athlete, you have to make that adjustment and do the same thing. Um, and that's not to say that we're we're all <laughs> we're nerds and we all go to bed at eight thirty all the time. But um, you know, when you're focused and you're um, training towards something, yeah, discipline. You 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 know you keep a lid on it and you do the right thing. But obviously, we do have we do have time to you know, sort of kick back and have, have fun and, and, you know, party when there's, when it's the right time. But I think it's pretty important to keep your head screwed on and, and focus on what you want to do because the party lifestyle is always there. But, um, you know, the time of your life and career is if you let it slide, then you can't go back, you know, whereas I think that's what some people, you know, potentially get caught up in. Um, and, you know, I'm sure, we're, you know, I'm living on the Gold Coast now, so, it would be pretty easy to get caught up in the riffraff up here, but I've got a really good group of mates that I ride and train with and everything. So we, yeah, we stick to a pretty good program and keep busy. How do you, when you sort of put your mind onto a trick, I know that you've mastered, you've completed and done the, the um, double backflip. Is that right? Yep. Double backflip. That one's a little bit of a, it's a bit of a secret that one because, um, I haven't yet, I'm not allowed to, haven't yet been allowed to post any video footage or really tell anyone about that. So we'll have to, yeah, we'll have to keep that one on the down low a little bit, but definitely something I'm working towards. Am I editing this out? Maybe. That's one thing. I, I didn't know if you knew about that. <laughs> Moving forward, but hopefully, hopefully soon I get the the right platform and everything to be able to go and do, do that and sort of show the world what I've been working on. But uh, between now and then, it's just just practice, practice. Okay, so am I am I leaving this in or am I editing it out? Ah, uh, you can leave you can leave it in. Yeah, leave it in. Yeah. A few a few things have changed, some different moving parts and ramps and stuff since then, which I haven't been allowed to show anyone. Um, but that's fine. People, I mean, most most a lot of the people in the industry, um, they know what I've been up to and, you know, uh, although I'm not allowed, it's frustrating for me that I've been doing it for about 18 months now and not been allowed to show anyone. I'll be two years actually um, and not really been allowed to show anyone or anything. So I've posted a few little teasers here and there, but I've never actually shown the, the video clips of it being done. So why um, do you have to keep it so under wraps though? Is it just the style of ramp? Like what's, if you've been uh, doing it for so long, why do you have yeah. to sort of keep it so on the down low? Oh, there's just a number of different reasons. It's not all, um, some pe people I'm working with, people that are helping um, fund some of the activities. Um, you know, we've been waiting to release it a number of times. Um, COVID kind of got in the way of that a little bit. Like we wanted to keep it all a bit of a secret for a competition I was working on doing it at, and then COVID kind of canceled all that. So look, there's been a number of reasons why it wasn't meant to be dragged on this long, but um, mm -hmm. you know, like, like, you know, with, with COVID everything kind of changed for quite a while there. So it's just been dragged on a little bit extra, but um, yeah, hopefully very soon I can, um, yeah, can get that done and, sort of show everyone what I've been doing. <laughs>
So we're announcing it. Jo's <laughs> he's going to show the world soon. <laughs> I better we better edit that part out. Actually, <laughs> I might I might get in trouble. I'll probably get fired. <laughs> oh no! Oh, I don't want that to happen. I might, I, might right. get in, I might get in trouble. Um, it was at this moment that he knew he fucked up. Um, okay, so we've just had to edit out all the tricks that Teo has just told me that he's doing, which is super secret, and he's just realised he's not meant to tell anybody. So that's why it's a bit disjointed in regards to the editing. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry he about told that. me and then realised he wasn't meant to be telling I get, me. I get a little bit excited sometimes, but um. Yeah, I've got to keep keep um keep my eyes on the prize with that one, and um yeah, hopefully very soon I can kind of show the yeah show everyone what I've been up to and what I've been training hard for, and um yeah, I'm looking forward to it for sure, and it, it should be in the very near very near future. So I'll keep it, and when you release it, then I'll I'll do the and, I'll release the yes, clip then. That's now you're thinking. That's a great idea. <laughs> now tell tell me. When, like, how are they going to, is it going to be a competition that you show it or are you going to release some sort of a documentary? Uh, we've sort of. Can you tell me went, this? Can you uh, tell me this? I probably, I probably can't even tell you that, to be honest. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, look, if it was up to me, I would, but it's, it's, and unfortunately, it's not up to me. I don't, I don't, That's I mean, fine. Unfortunately, I don't I make under- those calls. <laughs> I understand there's bigger powers sometimes to be. It's just shit. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know. How do you how do you think I feel? I mean, been putting me in the hard yards and doing it for so long and yeah, a couple of close friends have seen the footage and that's it. How did you get hooked up with Nitro? Um Yeah, sort of through through Cam Sinclair. He was riding with um Nitro Circus and um yeah, as I was kind of coming up and starting to learn getting better on the bike and learning some new tricks and stuff, he um he helped me out, introduced me to the guys and stuff. And then it kind of, I guess it just snowballed a little bit from there. Um, but yeah, they're a great, great bunch of people at the, at the company. And um, they've been doing big things in our sport for a lot of years now. So they sort of mm. took over from the crusty demons. Um, and then, yeah, they've been, been sort of taken on the world. They you know, tour all around the world. So um, yeah, been lucky and appreciative to be uh, involved supported by them over the years um i laughed before when you're talking about the crusty demons because i used to work at a i won't say where but a facility (laughs) and they used to so and they used to ride and do events there and um the stories that you used to hear us (laughs) (laughs) oh look i can only imagine i i mean back back then i was you know very young but I was um, I wasn't silly. I knew a little bit of what was going on, but then as I've got older, I've you know, heard bits and pieces. But yeah, those boys were pretty crazy. Um, it was and, a rock star lifestyle. That's what I heard. Well, that's that's a, I mean, at that at that time, they were like rock stars. People, they were the whole freestyle sport really had just started. Like no one had ever seen people doing these crazy tricks. So they're the first people in the world to be doing that, and they were touring around the world you know, to sold out shows doing this crazy acts and like, yeah, they, they were pretty much like rock stars and they were, yeah, they were certainly living it up. But if you did some of the stuff now that they did back then, if you'd be just be kicked off straight away and never to return yeah. and you probably wouldn't have any sponsors. Um, but yeah, it was pretty crazy. Um, probably. It sounds yeah, like probably, it's a very, very different sport in regards to the 
expectations internally now. Yeah. So look, what a is it? Of, a lot of people think ahead. that. Like a lot of people. Um, I mean, because you sort of look at us and we're almost supposed to covered in tattoos and. Yeah. Um, Although, people, you know, a lot of people think that and it's like, well, you'd be probably pretty surprised, but um, I, I, it doesn't bother me. I let people think what they want, but um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely changed. Like, well, like we said, it's definitely changed over the years and um, it's definitely changed for the best as well. I think it's, you, you know, you can be more of a role model for younger kids now, whereas back in the day, you probably wouldn't want to, Probably wouldn't want younger kids knowing what you're up to, you know, on the crusty on the crusty shows and that. But um, yeah, now now so you can be a better role role model for the young riders and stuff. Um, you mentioned the tats. You are very heavily tatted. Looks good, by the way. But, <laughs> and and I say this as someone that's never had a tattoo because I'm too scared that I'd regret it six months afterwards. Um. <laughs> Are they all significant meanings or are they just stuff that you've liked and stuff that you've got over the years? Yeah, some of them are significant. Um, we've got a couple of important ones, but, um, yeah, not not all of them. Some of them are just the style that I like. Um, so, yeah, not all of them exactly have meanings, but there are a few important ones to me that do. So are we sharing what are the important ones? Oh, there's just they've got – I've got a um, – big piece on my ribs for a, a buddy who passed away um so that one's you know one of the most meaningful to me and then I've got mm. family comes first across the top of my back um that's an important one for me and then I've got stay true written big on my chest here because I find um I, I think that's a pretty important thing and something I live by is to stay true to yourself and you know sort of remember where you came from and whatnot um but yeah I've got look at a couple of things like that that are that are pretty meaningful but then a lot of them don't necessarily have any deep meaning for me, but I just, I like the look of them. I like that style of tattooing, but yeah, I haven't, um, I haven't got much space left on my body. Um, I'm not going to, not going to get my neck done. Well, good. Um, don't get your neck done. Nah, keep it, keep it a little bit clean cut, but yeah, I've, I've only got a little bit of a little tiny area of um, plain skin on my left leg. And then I got a little area on my stomach, which I'd like to keep for the future for uh, if I have kids, I'd like to get, something of them on the on the stomach there and oh, that's, that's pretty sweet. much it pretty much yeah other than that pretty much covered so done a lot of hours what? i never i wish i kept wish i kept count of how many hours of tattooing i've had but i never did but it, it's definitely in the hundreds a couple hundred hours i'd say yeah is it really pain is it painful should i get a tattoo is it painful oh it's painful yeah, yeah for sure oh, <laughs> geez, i'm not getting one then. Yeah, people like you know you get some people that are gonna say that it's not painful but they're they're talking about their body hurts for sure like i've yeah some areas some areas aren't too bad um the arms aren't too bad um the most painful spot i've got is the was my back that was a painful painful one and that sort of took about it was around sort of 30 hours or something to finish so obviously over a period of a couple different days but um yeah, they're all pretty painful, but you kind of you get used to it because it's just a bit of a burning, sort of a stinging pain. But uh, I think after a few hours, you kind of sets in and you go, "Oh, well, the what I I just think to myself, well, it can't get any worse than this. I can deal with it. It's not going to get any worse." So you sort of mentally you just think, "Oh, well, if this is all it is, it's not that bad." Is but, that the same mentality that you've had with recovering from injury? Yeah, for sure, definitely, yeah. I think so. I think that's kind of helped me out a little bit with, um, yeah, with pain and stuff. I always just think, fuck, if this is 
this is it's the absolute worst it can get and I'm dealing with mm. it then I'm going to be fine because it's not going to get any worse. So, and I'm already mm. dealing with it now. So from here on out, it's, going to, it's only going to be easier and get better. So I think that's a mentality that I've always kind of had, even as a kid, I've always kind of had that, which has been, been helpful for getting tattoos <laughs> and for overcoming injuries and stuff. Now, you mentioned that you keep your goals personal in your head and you don't share them with anybody. And I understand the reason why. So therefore I'm, interested in why you publicly put things that are very personal on your body such as stay true to like true to yourself and family first and stuff like that do you even know the reason why you decided to have that visual reminder on your skin when you you keep everything else internal um it's not yeah not it's a good question actually I've never really thought about how to answer that but I think, um, you know, the tattoos, every tattoo on my body, it's not for anyone. Yeah. It's not for anyone else by any means. It's mm-hmm. purely for me. So if some people don't like them or whatever, you know, it's never really, it would never offend me if other people don't like, them. but it was, um, it's almost just a bit of a reminder for myself. Um, you know, and I think, um, you know, obviously you don't have to tell, go and tell people everything and, and, whatever else but I think um just a little reminder for myself you know to stay true and and obviously I've got a few different quotes of family stuff because family's you know incredibly important to me and I think it's just more something I've done for myself and to I'm pr- I'm proud to sort of wear that on my body in a way hmm. where does the family I mean so people are close to your fam like close to their families I'm close to my families but you sound like you're very particularly close with your family where did where does that come from Oh, I mean, we've just been, um, I'm just lucky to be, to have a great family. And as we were saying mm-hmm. earlier, I've always had such great support. Um, and I think we're just, you know, we're, we're all the same. My my brother and, and sister were, you know, we kind of do, do absolutely anything for each other, no matter what, you know, if I was, if I was in trouble and I called my brother to, He's, he lives in Sydney. If I called him right now and said, mate, I need, I'm, I'm in trouble. Can you come up to the Gold Coast? He'd go, yeah, no worries. He'd leave work and, and drive straight here. Like, Bring the shovel. Yeah. Where do you want to put the dead body? That kind of a yeah. thing. Got it. Oh, yeah, oh, 100%. Oh, I'm, yeah, 100%. So, and yeah. I, I guess, you know, and he's just been such a help for me. Um, you know, and and my mom and everything over the years, he's, you know, he's helped us out financially in certain times. And he's just always, you know, always been there for us. So I think we've just got a very close-knit bond and, you know, I've sort of never, you know, when I was younger, I've never kept anything from my parents, even if I was mucking up doing the wrong thing or whatever. I've never, um, you know, it's just super important to me to kind of um, to have that really close and, and good relationship with your parents because you've only got one set of parents and, you you know, it's, um, it's just very, very important to me. Um, so, you know, everyone's close with their parents, but some people have different relationships and I'm just lucky to have, yeah, super cool um, and laid back, you know, mum and dad that um, that support me. So I think that's why, you know, we're all just really close and yeah, it just makes makes life good. You mentioned when you were younger that your brother was also riding. Does he still ride? No, so he stopped riding. Um, he's, we both grew up riding, racing and playing footy, rugby league. Um, and my brother... My brother sort of chose to keep playing football and was was probably better at footy than what he was at bike. So 
he still plays footy at a pretty high level now. Um, so he's what level? Do, should, am I meant to know who he is? Oh is he no, 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 no! I just mean he's a, like he's just a good he's a good player. He he's actually really successful with his work. He he work, he's like a um, foreman at Len Lease, um, so he's really high up in the construction industry, and um, you know that's his full time thing. But he just plays. He still plays footy, and he's super passionate about his footy. So. Um, yeah, I guess he was, you know, he probably enjoyed footy more than bikes. Um, so he, I don't know, he might've stopped riding when he was like 16 or something. I can't really remember, but something like that. Um, and then even for me, I was playing footy as well. I was playing like, um, playing footy from, yeah, I don't know, for 10 years or so. And I actually kind of had to get to, a, it got to a point where the football games, I used to play on a Saturday and then football games were going to start um, on Sundays for me. And my racing was on a Sunday. So I sort of had to choose one or the other because you can't be in two places at once. So I had to have a real good think about that when I was young and think, which which one am I going to do? And I was almost going to choose a footy. Um, I really I really loved it that much. But um, obviously, I stuck with the dirt bikes. And then here we are today. But sometimes I think, what well, wonder what would have happened if I stuck with the footy. Uh, buddy, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. But I, I'm glad I stuck with the bikes. Now, X Games, you went to the X Games in America. Yep. Yep. Last year, yep. Yeah, which was COVID. It was affected by COVID. But there was, you said the ramps. I saw an interview with you saying that the ramps weren't as great. So you didn't do as expected. Yeah, that was just a little bit of a mix up, sort of. It's just a bit different. They have some different ramps to, to what we mm. have in Australia. So there was just a few sort of difficulties. Um, you know, it was a little bit kind of X Games did a great job because they basically pulled it out of nowhere because of COVID and stuff. Mm. Like it was almost like a last minute thing, but um, it was sort of a little bit hard for all the riders. That's why there was a bunch of a bunch of people that crashed that year um, because just the way that it went, it was no one's fault, but we kind of didn't really get much, you know, if any practice on the ramps and stuff. It, it was just a bit of a rush thing. But as I said, it was no one's fault. It was it was awesome that they could pull something together out of nowhere because we were kind of in the peak of COVID at that time. And, you know, just trying to leave the country was a massive challenge. You know, we had to have, Mm. um, we had to have all sorts of different exemptions and stuff to be able to leave the country. And it was crazy flights and flights cost like 10 grand or something (laughs) to go to America and back, which is an expensive one for me, but um, it was anybody. Yeah, I was, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But but look, yeah, they did a great job to kind of pull that out of nowhere, you know, with a month's notice sort of thing. But um, yes, unfortunately, didn't go to plan uh, on my end. I had a crash there. Um, but that was kind of the X Games rookie nerves that um, can be pretty easy to get as you, that was my first X Games. And um, yeah, unfortunately, didn't go to plan, but um you know hopefully i can kind of redeem myself and get back there maybe next year or in a couple of years or whatever and do a little bit better well what's yeah. the path to x games do you get an invite or do you have to sort of hit certain criteria is it like trying to qualify yeah. for the olympics yeah no you just get an you get an invite um x games is really hard um i mean the first thing is trying to get noticed by the right people but there's mm-hmm. there's no real way of getting noticed unless you're sort of doing you know really really good things um there's no real way to try out which is probably not it would be probably a good um 
you know, moving forward in the future, that's probably quite a good idea, maybe having tryouts. So people from other countries that aren't necessarily known, you know, could have more skills than some of the known people. So I think that would be pretty cool to do that. But at, at this point in time, it's, um, yeah, you just basically get an email, <laughs> get an email saying you've been invited to X Games um, and you just have to accept or decline. So obviously you're going to accept. But um, mm. yeah, there's there's no real way that you can, get yourself on the radar you just got to I guess it's pretty much consistency and um doing doing your best tricks and I mean the platform that we can use to to be seen is Instagram um social media has its ups and downs but as far as um being seen by sponsors and potential um competitions event organizers and stuff Instagram has been a really good platform for us riders and stuff to be able to promote what we're doing on and off the bike so um that's kind of how that's kind of how you're seen by the the important people i guess they might not necessarily even follow you on instagram but they know you know if you're doing the right thing they always know what you're up to and what tricks you're doing and stuff like that so is freestyle an olympic sport No, no, it's not. But um, freestyle BMX is in the Olympics now. So Logan Martin yeah. won, won the Olympics, which is um, awesome. He's a guy from the Gold Coast, so that's fantastic. But um, freestyle motocross isn't at the Olympics. But um, who knows? Maybe, maybe one day in the future, it'd be be bloody cool. What do you think the main thing uh, that you? Th- I'm thinking it's probably going to be mindset. But if we can. I don't know, but what do you think is different in regards to the way that you view the sport and you train compared to somebody else that wants to get to your level but isn't at your level? Is it just a skill base or do you think it's a whole mental? Uh, I mean, I think it's, um, look, a lot of people, a lot of people want to be the best at something or be the best they can, but they don't Mm. want to necessarily put in the work that goes, the hard work in between to get to that level because, um, obviously things don't happen with, with any athlete in any sport to get to a, a level of being professional or whatever. It takes a lot of years, a lot of years and a lot of injuries. And it takes, it takes more setbacks than anything to actually get there. So a lot of people these days see things on, you know, social media and they, Oh, that looks like awesome. You know, they're doing this and that, but it's like, but you don't, uh, you know, you don't, might not realize what went into getting to that level. And a lot of people ne- don't necessarily want to put in, the years of hard work to get there. Um, but mm-hmm. I think that, I think that's because they don't truly want it. They might want the, um, you know, the fame or whatever, not, the, not that I'm famous at all, but I mean, they might want the sponsorships and the recognition and stuff, but they don't necessarily want to get up at the crack of dawn every morning and train their ass off and be sore in the afternoon and ride and, and do all the stuff that you got to do for 10 plus years to be able to get to the level of being a professional so I guess um, I think it is the mindset and I think it really, I mean, for me, it really comes down to how much do you want it? Do you want, you know, like, do you want it to look cool on Instagram or do you really just, you really fucking want it and you want to be the best that you can be. So I think that's the biggest difference for me is just the the mindset and just, you know, wanting it for yourself, not for anyone else, wanting it because you really, you really do want to be the best that you can. Do you think it's um, – oh, sorry, I've just got distracted because a big truck pulled out outside and I just don't know what it was. <laughs> um, um, do you think it's more the attention span of the younger generation as well? 
because of the social media aspect of things? Yeah, look, I don't know. That's probably a good, probably a good question. And I think I think it could be for sure because you know, unfortunately, what we all see on Instagram, it's not real life. Like people only mm. post the people that you look up to, and you know, they only post the best of them on Instagram. So the best athletes in the world don't post on Instagram when they're having a shit day or they've had a shit training session or they've crashed their bike and training or they're, you know, they're sore, they're injured. You only get to see the best of the best. And so it, it looks like everyone is just killing it every day. You know what I mean? And, and that's how Instagram is. And I totally, that makes sense because no one wants to see you having a shit day, but I think a lot of kids just don't realize that you just really have to have a crack. And it just, it's just so many years. It's, it's like going to the gym, you know, to put on, to get a lot of strength and muscle and stuff, it doesn't happen in three weeks. It takes like five or six years of going every day. And I think, I think that's a little bit of a hard thing with social media is it, it, it doesn't necessarily look like that. It kind of looks like you can, you know what I mean? Because all these people are doing this crazy stuff. They don't, you don't really get to see the background and how they got to there. So I think that, I think like social media could play a bit of a part in that these days. Do you think that, and I'm, Going to connect with you on Instagram. I haven't yet. But do you think that you would or do you post the shit days as well on Instagram? Uh I don't look, I don't necessarily I, I post on Instagram um as much as I can, but then I also like to not to spend that much time honest. on Instagram. When, yeah. yeah, not not because of any reason, but I just try not to stuff around on my phone and be just you know dawdling around yeah i just think it's probably more important to get out and get shit done so to say but um you know like i i do post about my injuries um and stuff like that on instagram and i think you know even at the start of the year when i broke my femur that was it was the hardest injury for me to come back from much harder than the broken neck and everything um and i was posting sort of along that whole way i was posting you know so many different updates of um you know my my recovery process and things I was doing and improvements I was making and that was you know in a way that's sort of posting your bad days the reason I was posting that was because I was trying to help maybe give inspiration to other people other writers or anyone else that's dealt with injuries or was having a bit of a, a rough trot you know and like it's kind of good to I, I felt good to be able to help other people out in a way I had a lot of people message me that you know had gone through similar or smaller or bigger injuries or whatever and they're like oh you know stoked to see this stoked to see you trying to get back to things and you know it's given me a bit of inspiration to keep on pushing so I think it's pretty important to post you know not so much post your bad days but just to be honest I think on on Instagram as much as you can um, you know it is a bit of a business tool for, for most writers that tell you you know a lot of a lot of sponsors pay you because of things that you do or post about them on Instagram so you can't necessarily post whatever you want but I think it's just good to be honest to yourself and to your followers or fans or whatever on Instagram and so they kind of feel like they're actually following you not just following an account that says your name on it you know what I mean so um but I look I think Instagram's an awesome tool for for that sort of stuff because it's I always I'm always really stoked and and happy when um people message me you know, just random people I haven't met when they message me or reach out to me. And if I can ever give advice to anyone, whether they ride motorbikes or not, or they, you know, play soccer, it doesn't bother me. But if I can ever kind of give inspiration to younger or older people 
I always really like to, and that kind of kind of makes me extra motivated. It gives me that bit of a kick in the ass, you know. And I, I really like to be able mm. to do that. So Instagram for me is um, is good. I, I don't I try not to spend a whole lot of time on it, but when I when I am on Instagram, I do go through all my messages and and reply to everyone and. Um, I get pretty, you know, I get pretty stoked when people do reach out to me because, you know, when I was a kid, I looked up to so many people, but I was, yeah, obviously I didn't have social media when I was young, but I was always probably pretty shy sort of kid. And as much as I'd love to go and ask for someone's autograph, I probably wouldn't have done it because I was too nervous or too shy. So, um, but I know the feeling of, you know, how it is and, and what it's like to, to speak to someone that you look up to or a fellow writer or whatever. So, yeah, it, make, it means a lot to me when um, when people message me on Instagram and I love to be able to have a chat with people and make new friends and, and all that kind of stuff. You mentioned, uh, we've obviously talked about injuries and inspiring the, the new generation and, and so forth. And like any athlete, you know, you sort of can't do it forever. So yep. where do you think you're going to go when you transition out of the active athlete side of the sport? Or is this talking yeah. about goals and therefore you don't want to put it out there? <laughs> no, no, it's a, it's a good question. And um, it's it's not something I focus on too much at the moment because I try to you know, yeah. kind of live in the moment a little bit. But I do have a background of, you know, like I have worked many full-time jobs in, in the past. So I do have... Um, mm do have other skills in the working world. Yeah, but you me, don't so. want to go, you don't want to go to a bloody office situation or something. You want oh, to probably no, not, stay connected no, to the no. sport. Yeah, no, I'm not the sort of bloke that could sit in the office. I've got ADHD, so I don't like to sit around and I'm doing pretty well. I'm about an hour into this and I'm starting to get I itch. know, I can tell you're getting moving. itchy, yeah. I think it's because I've just had 300 milligrams of bloody caffeine. I've got to be kit. But um, now, look, I when I was young, to to have a bit of a career and a, and a trade behind me or, or whatever was very important because, like you said, dirt bikes and stuff, it's not going to last forever. And you need to know, you need to have life skills as well and you need to be able to do things mm. and, and always have something to fall back on, which I do. Um, I've got, you know, a different, couple of different things to fall back on. But like you said, I would always like, I'd love to be able to stay in the industry in some way. And I'm not really sure how that's going to pan out just yet. Like I'd love to be able to, almost be a bit of a mentor or help out younger kids on bikes racing or freestyle or whatever it may be. But I would love to be involved um, in the sport in some way. Um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to be like we spoke about with black rifle, lucky to be partnered with black mm. rifle, you know, potentially even maybe something with them in the future. They do some really cool stuff. Um, and, you know, many different, um, they, they like, they give back a lot, you know, they're a veteran owned company and they give back and, and they, you know, they help out a lot of people and, you know, potentially I could do something with them in the future and, you know, we could do, there's, there's a number of things we could do basically, but I would like to like to consider myself to be able to yeah, stay somewhat tied up in the sport because it is what I love doing. And, you know, I just wouldn't be, um, I certainly wouldn't be as happy if I was uh, laying bricks or, or, you know, concreting yeah. or doing something like that. So, but I, I haven't, you know, I've got a couple of little ideas in my head, but nothing like, you know, nothing really set in stone. I think I just got to focus on what I'm kind of doing now and, and do the best that I can over the next five or 10 years or whatever it may be. And then kind of see what happens. I think, you know, when one door closes, another door opens. So, you know, when I, when it is time to finish up on the bikes, mm-hmm. it could be something that's just around the corner for me. Um, but yeah, I'll leave my, leave my options open. Um, and as long as I'm doing what sort of makes me happy and if I can, 
help other people out, make them happy, then it's a win-win for me. I'd be I'd be really stoked on that. Perfect. Well, I can see you're getting really twitchy, Jo. So we'll leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I, I feel like you need to do a lap around the house or something and come back and sit down. I got um, you know, just a funny one. Not not a funny one, but I've always um, I've always had a fair bit of energy and and not um, not in like a disruptive way or you know, I was never naughty as a kid or, or anything like that. But I've always had a fair bit of go in me, and I and I've always got so much energy in the mornings. I wake my girlfriend up. Well, yesterday I woke her up at 1.30 in the morning because I thought it was three. I woke up at 1.30 and I said, Beth, let's go to the gym. She said, what time is it? And I looked at my phone. I said, it's 1.30. And she's just like, what, the, what are you on about? But I've always got so much energy in the mornings. Anyway, fast forward, I um, I just found out I got ADD and ADHD. So I didn't even know you could have both, but I've got both. I don't even know the difference between the two of them. So I don't really either, but um, I think ADHD is like a hyper activity. Like I don't, but I don't really know. The, I don't know the difference between the two, but I'm pretty impressed that I've got both because <laughs> I didn't know. You, I, I think that's you impressive. Had, I thought you had one or the other, but I, as I said, I was never like you know. You think a kid ADD, it's kids being naughty and stuff. And like at, when I was at school, I was always a pretty shy kid. I never, I never really mucked up or was did mm. the wrong thing. I was always just pretty you know, pretty nice sort of kid, but it's all, it's like in my adult life, I've just, I've just gained this energy from somewhere. It must be the black rifle. I don't know, but now I, um, now I find myself needing to yeah, do laps around the house and stuff. <laughs> but maybe- I've just discovered I've, I've with COVID, I've never had anxiety before and it's given because I was in Melbourne. So it's the lockdown yeah. giving me anxiety. Um, and I wondered whether or not you moved up to Gold because I think you used to be a Melbourne boy. So yeah. I wondered whether or not you moved up to the Gold Coast because of all the lockdowns. Well, but I've was, discovered. Oh, okay. sorry. I was just going to say it was sort of a number of, number of different things that led to moving up here, but it was almost like um, the icing on the cake was the 18 months or whatever that we spent in lockdown. And I was getting so frustrated because just because I couldn't train and, and ride my bike. And um, obviously the weather in Melbourne never really helps out either because it's just always, you know, if it's ever, if it's wet and windy, we can't practice. So there was a number of different things and I always kind of flirted with the idea of moving to the Gold Coast, mm-hmm. but 98% of people that live in Melbourne talk about moving to the Gold Coast, but they never do. <laughs> it's like what everyone says, oh, I'm going back up to Queensland, but they never do. And that was me. That was me for many years. But I think the the lockdowns, it was just almost that extra little kick that made me and my partner Beth go, you know what, let's actually just do it. Let's just yeah. get up there. So we actually, the pretty much as soon as we were allowed to cross the border, like leave Victoria and come to Queensland, we pretty much did like the almost the day we were allowed to, we were online checking, always trying to get the updates. Cause remember things were changing. Like the rules were changing almost every day, like what you could and couldn't do as far as borders. Oh, it's and, just ridiculous. So, yeah. And I, I, I don't, um, I don't watch the news or any, I stopped like, I'm, we don't even have normal TV. We just had Netflix and Stan and whatever else, but we don't, I just stopped watching the news back then because all they would do is kind of talk about COVID and it was like this, there's so much negative rubbish that you not the uh-huh. not not the COVID's rubbish. I'm not trying to ask people to hate me, but I just no, but, I, it's... but I just like I, I I'm always I like to be positive and, and have a good outlook yeah. on things. And I just didn't like to see all the sort of negativity on the TV. So I never really tried to keep up with any of the COVID stuff. But then when we wanted to move, 
I was on my phone and on the computer and I was always trying to figure out the, when we could move. But it was like you go on five different websites and they'd all say different things that contradict each other. So it was a real challenge to sort of get up here. So the day that we found out we could, we literally packed packed our shit and drove straight up. And um, it's been seven months now since we've been here and absolutely love it. It's been probably... Yeah, it's been really, it's been a life-changing experience for me. And I think I've never been so happy just with my day-to-day life. Um, and the riding obviously has been good because it's beautiful weather up here. We we get to ride so much more. And I've got a really good group of mates up here that are all in the same sport and we're all doing the same stuff. And um, yeah, it's been really good. And like today, if you could see outside, it's there's literally not one cloud in the sky. It's probably, I don't know, 25 degrees or something. And you know, Shut up. You, it's it's just it's just amazing, you know. And I um I sort of I sort of wish I may you know I might have moved up here years ago, but you know mm-hmm. maybe I, I probably wasn't ready at that time or whatever. And I think you know, everything happens for a reason. But I um I'm glad that I did make the decision to come up now because it's yeah. yeah it's been it's been bloody awesome. Well, that's one of the reasons um why we're doing the whole van life thing at the moment to get out of Melbourne yeah. but also to see where we want to end up settling as well yeah so, that's awesome so I've actually got a few questions mm. for you about that so what yeah, whereabouts, yeah, go. whereabouts are you at the moment because I didn't know about this until you texted me the other day and I'm yeah. like I, I didn't even know that so whereabouts are you at the moment so the backstory is we decided to sell the house because we knew the property market was going to tank and it was still yep. quite strong so we decided that and then the Monday before the first Saturday open my husband's job said your role's been made redundant. So my first words were, let's just move to Bermagui then because we love Bermi. Yeah. <laughs> then, um, then we decided to get the van and do the whole van thing. So we're, at, we're currently, we left on the weekend. Yeah. Um, so it's still very new. We're at my, my parents' place in Port Ferry for um, a couple of weeks. We've just got some stuff that we need to sort out and then we'll head over to Adelaide Way So and then do the full awesome. loop. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Yeah. That's all. Did you say Port Ferry? Mm. Yeah, I know where that is. I've been there yeah, before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, that's cool. So what kind of van have you got? Like what size? Sprinter, Mercedes Sprinter. Oh, Sprinter it's a yeah, long wheelbase. So, yeah. yeah. I didn't want an RV situation. I. Yeah. It was really difficult for us in terms of getting what we wanted. I wanted to be able to fit it out and make it all beautiful and pretty and, you know, what yeah, Instagram worthy and stuff. But yeah, it's... Yeah. um. We literally, because we didn't want an RV, there were no Mercedes Sprinter vans yeah. for sale oh, in Victoria because everyone so was trying to get to out. Get. Yes, it's so hard to get cars, bikes, anything at the moment. Anything. So we literally was either wait 15 months, which we had a two-week window that we needed to purchase to get out. <laughs> so we 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 got the basically the last Sprinter van in Victoria that was already wow. kitted out. So it's like, yeah, oh, cool. it's not pretty inside. It's functional. Yeah. But it'll do the do the job. So we yeah. packed up the cat. Cat's coming yeah. with us. Nice. I um I I find it so cool when you you know because obviously with motorbikes and racing and stuff, most families um have got a big van like a Sprinter or um yeah. a van like that, and it's just so cool and interesting to see how people deck it out like on the inside. You know, like some people have got like a double bed sort of mattress up the top of the van, and then the bikes can go underneath, and you got your fridges and yeah. all your stuff and. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, you could just spend so much money on that kind of stuff. But um, I've just so got so much. But we I've didn't have an a, option. Yeah, that's it. I've just got a uh, I've got a Hyundai Ilo van, which is obviously a small van, but perfect for what I do. But 
Um, I just actually carpented the whole roof and everything in the back yesterday. And I literally had surgery on my collarbone five days ago. I'm meant to be in a sling for two weeks. And I was um, I was carpeting the roof. So cutting and, you know, gluing and all sorts of shit on the roof. For, like took me way longer than I thought. But um, today it feels like I've been training at the gym, training my shoulders for, <laughs> for six hours. I pulled up a little bit sore oh, this yeah, morning. If you, have, if you have them above your head that, trying to do it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've got, um, I've got, I don't know how many stitches, but I mean, you can't see, but I've got. Oh, come quite, on. He's it, taking his shirt off now. Come on. Yeah. Go. <laughs> yeah, there's a massive, I got heaps of stitches in there, but because it's funny. Jesus, they said, it um, actually goes a full length. That, that. Yeah, covering pretty, goes the yeah. full length of a wound. Because okay. they, they took two, they put two plates in there because um, the guy knew that normally, I think the surgery technically only really required one plate, but because he knows I'm going to be wanting to ride in a couple of weeks, he said, I'll put two in so it's a bit stronger. But it's pretty amazing because I got out of, got out of the surgery sat, Saturday Arvo and the very next day, Sunday, I was in the gym doing weights and stuff. So it's pretty amazing how much, better you feel after you have like because it's not like any other injury you can't you know you, you're bedridden for weeks and weeks but with the collarbone it's like wow you can literally get it was pretty badly broken like it was 40 mil displaced or something so it's Jesus amazing Christ. that you can get a get a plate put in there and get it screwed together and then literally walk out of there without a sling i mean you're meant to but you can <laughs> so i'm like oh. wow i'm blown away with um I guess how good the human body is with collarbones yeah. anyway, because your legs and other things are certainly not like that by any means. There's no way I'd be able to do as much, you know, if it was something else, but I've been pretty lucky. So I'm going to start, uh, be riding in about a, a week and a half, two weeks. So. When you did your legs, did you have to relearn how to walk? Did you do um, full rehab? Yeah, not so much learn how to walk, but I mean, the hardest, the biggest thing was trying to get the stability back um and balance so i especially with the femur i focused on doing a lot of single-legged stuff so single-legged squats and single-legged deadlifts and things like that which were extremely hard because at the start up and up until geez six weeks ago or something i couldn't even um you know when you go to put your shoes on in the morning and you mm. gotta stand on one leg and put put your shoe on and then you stand mm. on i couldn't do that so whenever i'd put my shoes on or off i have to sit down on my bum and take my shoes on and off i couldn't couldn't balance on one leg so um and although i could ride a bike and go to the gym and stuff i could not i couldn't even fathom the idea of i, I would try don't worry i try every day i try to stand on my bad leg every day but i could not it was like a strength almost not a strength but almost like just the balance like my 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 knee would be shaking left and right sideways and be shaking and i just couldn't do it you know I, i'd just fall over pretty much so didn't necessarily have to learn how to, to rewalk, but I, there was a lot of, and a lot more than I really expected was, um, was just getting the balance and stability back after the femur, the, the tib and fib, the lower leg was not as crucial. Like I, I still had to do the similar exercises, but it probably was over and done with a lot faster, but the femur is a hell of an injury. It's the, it's the, as I said, it's the worst one I've had for sure. And sometimes you feel as if you're not really making much progress, but other people, family and friends will see you and be like, oh, you're doing so much better than, you know, last week or whatever. But in my head, I was thinking, geez, I, I felt like I progressed a lot at the start. I made a very fast progression of, you know, being on the crutches to then sort of starting to walk around a little bit. But then there was a period of time where I felt like, geez, this thing isn't getting any better. 
So there was, yeah, a lot of um, rehabilitation sort of stuff. Like I'd been doing some of the physio physiotherapy for doing an hour and a half sessions, like two to three times a week, which was also, which was really good, but also pretty expensive and time consuming. But it was like, without that, there's no way I'd be as good as I am at the moment because I'm pretty much back to hundred percent now. So, um, but yeah, it's, you got to pretty much allow up to about I six delay. months. Yeah, Not the collarbone. Ah, the collarbone. So it's only a collarbone. You got two of them. <laughs> but um, now that with a broken femur, you've pretty much got to allow six months. Basically, I mean, twelve months they say for a full recovery. But I think I started riding at about three and a half months. But I was, geez, I was uh, in pain. I was in pain, and I was probably, I wasn't a hundred percent then. But to be about a hundred percent, it's almost yeah, it's six months really. So it's it's a lot longer than any other injury that you ever have to deal with. Like even when I broke my neck, I think it was, I think I was back on the bike. It, it wasn't even a full six months. It was maybe five months. I think I wore a neck brace for like five months and then I got back to riding. But um, yeah, you really got to, got to look after yourself. And if you do get injured, you've really got to make sure you do the right sort of um, recovery, rehab, physio exercises, because it just makes your life so much easier. Um, because otherwise I think, you know, without doing that, in years to come, you're going to pay for it then. So, what's the goal with the um, with your van? Are you going to stealth camp in it? Um, no, not really. I've always sort of, I've always had driven utes over the years, but I've had a few bikes mm. stolen and stuff. Um, so for me, I kind of bought a van to just for a little bit more protection. So my bikes are hidden in there. You know, just when I'm going riding, like if I go riding and then on the way home, I want to stop and grab something to eat, grab some lunch or whatever. Mm. It's like, I always have to be super worried about people seeing the bike in the back of your ute because not that I was, I was never super worried about that, but then I had, I've had a few bikes stolen from me. So I became a little, not paranoid, but I was a little bit more cautious about things like that. And then thought, you know what, why not just get a van? And that way, if I need to camp in it or go camping or stay places overnight while I'm riding or whatever, it just makes it so much easier. And None of my stuff gets wet. You know, that's another reason. When I was in, in Melbourne, a lot of times we'd go riding, you know, or traveling over a couple of days to go riding. You know, if it rains or your bike, your bike gets wet, your motorbike gear, and it's just like, geez, that sucks. So buying a van was like the best thing I've done. Like, I'm stoked. I, I love having a van. Like, it is awesome. And I have been camping a few times, um, but it's just like, you know, even when me and Beth moved to, moved to Queensland, I put, uh, I just put, a bunch of stuff in the back of my van and we drove here like i had hmm. two motor two motorbikes and a big toolbox and you can imagine all my motorbike gear and parts and um so much stuff plus a couple of tvs and all of our clothing like I had so much stuff packed into a little iload and we just moseyed on up to queensland you know whereas it's like in a ute you just can't do that like it's just not possible so yeah yeah that's right but yeah i haven't really got too many plans with i mean i'd sort of like to i'd almost like to have a bigger van and deck it out really nicely um but this will do this will do for the moment i'm gonna have to make some more money before i want to go decking out a real big van (laughs) so you um, need a van sponsors mercedes yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) yeah my van's actually when i as soon as i got to queensland i went I went riding one day and then um, I was just leaving, driving home and the van blew up and I just bought it actually too. And uh, ended up costing me like 20 grand fixing it. I had to get a whole new, got a whole new engine. And then <laughs> yes, I got a whole new engine, uh, which costs, I think it costs like, 
13 or 14 grand or something like that. And then I got got it back from the mechanic. I think the mechanic stitched me up, by the way, with a few different things. And then I was um, a couple of weeks later after getting the new engine, I was at super cheap auto. I had to go grab some, um, I don't know, some tools or something. And I ran in and grabbed my stuff and I was at the counter paying, about to come out. And someone's ran in from outside. Who's, who's parked the van out the front? It's on fire. I'm like, <gasps> couldn't be me. I go out the front and my van's on fire. Um, so something in the gear, uh, something, they, they obviously messed something up and basically the gearbox got really hot and it started dripping oil underneath the um, engine engine bay and then hot day here in Queensland, it caught fire. So there was like a fire in my engine bay of the van. So um, put the fire out, got it back to the mechanic and I'm thinking, you know, like you guys have something, you've done something wrong. I've just spent 14 mm-hmm. grand and this has happened. And then, um, no, I, uh, I think I paid another six or seven grand to get it fixed again. So, yeah, of course, <laughs> I've spent 20 grand on the van just since being in Queensland. So, yeah, crazy. But um, what do you do? It's part of shit happens. <laughs> so hopefully we your van up- doesn't do that with your trip. I'd well, it's already, we've already had some dramas with it. So, um, yeah. and it's two weeks old. So anyway. Oh, um, all right. anyway that's another story but when we when we're passing through goldie i'll i'll yeah reach out and we'll catch up and have a have a beer and yeah absolutely yeah well um because troy troy lives up in brizzy now so um Mm. he can come down and we can all catch up go have a beer and well i'm i'm gonna catch up with him and brie up in brizzy as well but yeah Yeah, definitely i'm trying to i'm trying to convince troy to because he keeps asking about where we're going i'm like just rent a van and come and meet us somewhere yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) he'd love it yeah yeah i I think he's trying to convince brie you guys would have a good time sure yeah he's a crack um, up uh, awesome. All right. Well, yeah. Make sure you, you make sure you hit me up. You got my phone number, so hit me up when you're yeah. up here, whenever that, whether it's this year or next year or whenever. But um, it'll be this year, won't it? Be later in the year. You'll yeah, be up we'll in be. Queensland. Yep. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, I'll, I'll be here. Absolutely. Perfect. Thanks, honey. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. Nah, no worries. I'm glad. Um, I'm glad our computers work this time because obviously yesterday we had a couple <laughs> had a couple dramas. We did. We did. Just but, hang um, on while I hit stop. Hang on a minute. Thanks for taking a moment to listen, everyone. We hope this episode inspired you as much as it did us. If you know somebody who also needs a little inspiration, then please share this podcast with them. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast app and rate and review us because that helps inspire us to keep making them.